0: Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week, I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Hamaza Koistoni, who became the first Muslim woman to be crowned Miss England. As a child, when people asked Hamaza what she wanted to be when she grew up, she responded that she was going to be a model. She had this dream since the age of six, but it started to feel further and further away as she entered her teenage years. That's because she was born to Afghan parents, spent her early childhood in Russia, and then moved to the UK as a teen. In short, Hamaza represented a look that the modeling industry wasn't used to. But when a modeling agent spotted her, it changed her life, and she in turn transformed the modeling industry. At 18 years old, Hamaza Kostoni was the first British Afghan Muslim to be crowned Miss England in 2005. Since then, she's been in the fashion and modeling industry for over 20 years, which is unprecedented. And as a result, she's faced immense racism and sexism throughout her career. All the while, she stuck to her values and encourages other young women to do the same. In this episode of Stories of Transformation, we hear about Hamza's experience as an Afghan Muslim model, how hard she fought to be accepted, how she made it to the global headlines by calling out the British Prime Minister on his Islamophobic remarks how social media is negatively impacting young girls, and what her own definition of beauty is. If you find Hamaza's story inspirational, please share it far and wide. So without further ado, I bring you Hamaza Kohistani. Hamaza Kohistani, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
1: Thank you. I'm very well. Um, Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Hamaza, I think it's fair to say that you're an inspiration to many girls, many young women around the world based on your experiences, based on your successes, and how you kind of have risen to the top of your game in the modeling world and in the fashion world. But I know your path wasn't easy. And so what I would like to do is talk to you about the difficulties, the tribulations that shaped who you are and have you share some of your wisdom with us here today. So I think a great way to kind of start our conversation is to simply ask you, in your own words, how do you describe who you are?
1: Who I am as a person would be someone who's a go-getter, who likes breaking stereotypes, is not scared to stand up for what's right. And also British Afghan model who lives in the UK and was born to Afghan parents.
0: Oh, that's great. So, I think what would be really interesting, Hamaz, is if you could talk about your upbringing, in particular your childhood. Could you talk about your parents, where you were born, and the path and the journey that you kind of took on to get to the UK?
1: Sure. So, my parents come from Afghanistan. They met at a very young age and got married and then moved over to Russia to study. And while they were studying there in their final year of um, education, I was born so I was born in Russia, Uzbekistan, to be precise, but at that time it was part of the USSR and counted as Russia. And um, then we tried to go back to Afghanistan. So i have been to Afghanistan when I was very young. I remembered little bits and pieces from my grandmother's house and just being back home and then the war broke out. And because my parents obviously had a lot of friends and knew the language in Russia, the first option for us to get to safety was to move back to Russia. So I I stayed there till I was eight. I went to school in Russia and I speak the language and I grew up there until about eight, nine years old. And then we decided to move to the UK and this is now our home. So we've been living here for about 25 years. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to be working in fashion since I was very young, but I didn't think that the circumstances would permit me to do that until I moved to the UK and I started going to school and I started finding my way a little bit because up until that point we were moving around a lot and I was always in different cities and different countries and I was just too young. So growing up here, um, I think, allowed me to be able to work in the field that I dreamt of working
0: Hmm, That's really interesting. So as somebody who in your upbringing went from country to country, culture to culture, language to language, how did you and your family uh, find a sense of home and belonging? How did that process kind of unpack for you and what were the things that you kind of did to make that happen?
1: I think everything that I've been through in life has really shaped and helped me be so resilient and have such a long career in the field that I chose. You don't hear many people working as a model for 20 years. Yet this December, it will be my 20th anniversary, 20th anniversary for working as a model. And I believe that it has a lot to do with my upbringing and my childhood. It was very easy for me to make friends. I was always the new girl at school. So when you're a child, You kind of have no choice but to start playing with the other kids. I didn't speak. I spoke Farsi at home, but then I started attending school and everybody spoke Russian. And then we moved to the UK and I didn't speak a word of English. I only spoke Russian and Farsi and I had to pick up English when I was eight. And then at 18, I won Miss England and I was representing England in Miss World. So 10 years prior to that, I didn't speak a word of English. And 10 years later, I was representing the country on a global level. Which was a huge achievement for me but I believe that the reason I was such a goal oriented and focused individual was because I had been to so many different schools. I was always the new kid, I always had to make friends, I always had to have thick skin. For a child when you have your friendship group and then you get up and move and then you just don't understand why this is happening to you. But I had a very good relationship with my parents when I was younger and I still do so and I believe that they were my pillars of strength and my guidance in wrong and right and morals and values where the things that they instilled in me has helped me through my career and just how to treat people and to really understand what's really important, which is more so your morals and values than your career path or the way you look or the money you earn. So because I feel those values were taught to me at a young age and I always carried that with me, I didn't find it that hard navigating the modeling industry years after that because as a child I was exposed to a lot of meeting new people and settling in again and having to pick up all over again. So um, I believe that it really, my younger years really helped me be where I am today and just have a lot better understanding in the way the world works, a respect for other cultures and languages and people because i've traveled a lot when i was younger and i've experienced things at a younger age where people still don't who are my age now so i feel like that's why now i'm in a position where i want to help people teach people educate young women because i have the platform and i have the life experience so i'm very grateful for my childhood as much as it seemed very difficult um it's definitely made me a very strong and determined confident person
0: yeah So as it pertains to elements of adversity in your upbringing, in your childhood, given your cultural background, how did your family kind of process what it meant for you to be a model? Because given our cultural background being from Afghanistan, it's not too receptive of women going into modeling. So how did your family kind of deal with that? And then When did you know that modeling was meant for you and that you were supposed to step into that space? How did that all unfold?
1: I came across the world of fashion at a very young age. So when I fell into the career, it was nothing new for my family because I remember being very young and being taken to a park in Russia, in Kiev, in fact, it was Ukraine. And there was a fashion show. It was like a festival, outdoor. And there were acrobats and circus, and then there was a fashion show. But instead of me being fascinated by the things that work for kids, I was fascinated by this fashion show. I sat, it was like an open-air stadium. I remember it very well. I even remember the models because it made such an impact for me that I sat down, my mom, I wanted to sit there instead of going to the kids' playground. So my mom and I went and sat at this fashion show, and I was just watching it, and I was asking questions, As in, what is this? Why are these beautiful girls on this stage and these clothes are so nice and what's happening? So she explained to me that that was a fashion show and they're models and that's their job and this is what they do. So from that point on, which was about six years old, I was obsessed with modeling and fashion. So I came home and then every weekend my routine was to go through my mom's wardrobe and just put on her shoes and clothes and put her skirt on my head, wear it as a turban, just create fashion and put on fashion shows for my family. And they had to rate me out of 10. And would anyone dare to rate me anything below a nine, I'd be devastated. So (laughs) it was always a competition between my cousins and I and my friends. And I always wanted to be a model. So as I grew up and, I was a little bit older and people always ask you when you're young, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the first thing I always said is that I'm going to be a model. It wasn't that I want to be, it was that I'm going to be. It was living, breathing, modeling for me. But then I hit my teen years and I wasn't very cute as a teenager and I went through that awkward teen stage and that dream kind of seemed a far away thought for me as I grew up and I thought okay like I barely speak the language I'm so different looking I'm so foreign here because I was a little bit older so I found it harder to adapt to the life in the UK in comparison to when I was in Russia it just didn't seem realistic at all so I thought okay whatever I was even too embarrassed to tell people at that point point. and then I got spotted shopping and a scout came up to me and said that oh you know I think you have a great look and we have this campaign and you'd be suitable for it so I went home I told my parents and uh, this is an opportunity has come up and my parents knew that if at that point they had said no to me I would be crushed because since 6 years old this is all I wanted to do and I had this opportunity knocking at my door so if they took that away I feel like they knew that they would really crush my soul so My parents, because I was young, I had to have a chaperone, so my mom came to photo shoot with me. She said, okay, fine, let's go see what it's about and we'll see. My parents are very open-minded, they're very supportive and I have a very close relationship with them, so I'm comfortable talking about things and I'm comfortable listening to them. So my mom came to a shoot with me and when she got to see how professional it is and that it's a job and everybody's there to do a job. It's not seedy because we don't know in our culture, we don't understand the fashion industry or modeling. So it just seems like, oh, it's exploitive and it's seedy. And it's not like that at all. So once my mom came to a few shoots with me and she saw how it is and, and I was a natural because I had practiced all my life. So the minute I was in that shoot, I was just living for the camera, my alter ego came out and I was so confident because I felt like, wow, I'm living my dream, this is happening for me. And I really gave it my all and I think because I was so passionate about it that I managed to make it last such a long time and I'm still working as a model because my drive is what kept me going. And then that was it. My mom saw that it was all very professional and I was in safe hands and I knew what I was doing. So when I was about 16, 17 is when she backed off a little bit because then I was at an age where I could go to shoots by myself. Their conditions was that I don't shoot lingerie or swimwear, which I was totally happy to respect. And also that I don't fall off my education, that I still continue my school because I was 14. So I was still at school and that I don't get distracted. I treat it as a job and that's all it is. And that's what I did. And I can, so there, there was a respect and understanding between my family and I where they've had their wishes. And I respected that because I knew that they were already taking a huge leap for me to allow me to be in the industry. So if they had that one condition, I was more than happy to abide by it. So we both had a respect and understanding in my parents' trusted me enough to know that they did a good job bringing me up that I wouldn't go off and lose my head, which I didn't. And here we are 20 years later.
0: Oh, I really like that story. So could you tell us what it was like in terms of how your life kind of changed once you started to model in terms of how your, how your sense of identity was understood and how you saw yourself given your cultural background, given the way you look in a place like England, how did that all kind of come together and what did you learn about yourself and the place that you were during that time?
1: Girls at school, when you're a teenager, and obviously here I am modeling, I was doing Alexander McQueen shows and my friends were studying for their exams. So we were very on very different lifestyles at that time. So I actually found it quite difficult once I started modeling to be making friends or to being close to people because I noticed the change. There was a sense of jealousy and a sense of not belonging. And also in the modeling industry as well, like I said, at that time, I didn't fit the bill. I was always the token brown person. So if they needed an ethnic minority, that's when I got booked. So I would never be the main model. There would always be a Caucasian girl that would be the main model and they would be like a black girl maybe in a myself like a brown representative or maybe a far east Asian representative to show diversity in certain cases. Or unless they needed a specific like I would shoot for ads that were um targeted at the Middle East or Turkey, but it would never be so even in the modeling industry, I would go to shoots or castings and they couldn't figure out where I was from bear in mind, this was also before 9-11. So Afghanistan was not known to people at all because I feel like people only got to know where Afghanistan is after 9-11. So I hadn't started modeling before that. So when I'd go to castings, they would look at my portfolio and look at me and say, oh my God, she's so exotic. Like as if it was a bad thing, as if it was an insult. And it's like, where is she from? Where are you from, babe? And I would tell them, I'm from Afghanistan. And they would look at me blankly, like I just spoke in in Chinese, in Mandarin to them. And I, I would have to explain where Afghanistan was. And then they'd look at me and then they'd look at where Afghanistan was like, are you sure both of your parents are from Afghanistan? I like, what do you mean, am I sure? Yes, because it's like, oh, but the people from Afghanistan don't look like you. So it was very discriminatory and it was very, I did feel like an outsider and they did, the industry was very racist and the fashion industry is legendary for being sexist, racist, weightist, ageist, you name it. So at that time being 14 and 15 and being exposed to that, like I had to have thick skin. I had to be resilient, either that Mm -hmm. or I had to give up on my dream. So I didn't fit in, I found it very difficult. I found navigating the industry extremely difficult. Even when I won Miss England at 18, I constantly had to justify why I was a good representative because it was like, yo, but you weren't born here. You're not English. Yet when they have Kenyan runners running for Britain in the Olympics who are not born here, who are not English, but they represent UK and they win, that was okay. But because I was from Afghanistan and I was a female, they would always question, but how How come you're Miss England? In today's day and age, no one would question you because it would be considered Mm -hmm. racist. Yet back then on live television, on BBC and CNN and Fox and all the rest of it, they would ask me why, how, but you're not English, but you're Afghan, but you're Muslim. Hold on, you're Muslim. And this was like such a controversial topic for them, and they couldn't wrap their head around it. So I was like, to me, my answer was, you can't pick and choose. And the one question that I always got asked is, do you consider yourself more Muslim or more British? And my answer to that is that Muslim is a religion. British is a society and a culture. I'm a British Muslim. How could you make me pick between the two? They're completely different things, but they would always try and tongue-tie me or put me in a position where I would defend one side or the other. So the acceptance only came years later in my industry. And, you know, but I still had to fight. So I had to work twice as hard. I had to prove myself more that, no, I am worthy and I am capable of being the main character on a shoot. You don't just have to have me as a prop. And it took me years and years of grafting to get to where I am now, where it's my shoot, (laughs) it's my way, it's my team. But I worked very hard for it, but it's just because it wasn't documented the way things are documented now in social media, that people believe, oh, how come everything falls on her lap? And she's just, she didn't really do anything, but they don't see the behind the scenes of how hard I had to work and how much racism and discrimination I had to face.
0: Oh, that's really curious. So let's talk about that. When did you start to notice the conversation going from, you're from Afghanistan, where is that, to you're from Afghanistan, what's that like? So in essence, how did the events of 9-11 change your sense of understanding of who you were, and how did it impact you directly?
1: 9-11 and 7-7 bombings, which happened in London, which was a year later, was very, very crucial for me because the london bombings happened in july and i won the pageant in september of the same year so straight away it was like it was a huge sense of islamophobia in the press and in the society in the uk and at the time the prime minister was tony blair so he did a speech and he said like you know our muslims need to take responsibility for what's happening and i felt like he was scapegoating muslims altogether. So I spoke out against that. It was all over the press globally for about three weeks um, where I spoke up and criticized. So I became kind of the voice and symbol of young Muslim Brits without a choice. Like I got thrown in that spotlight and I was speaking up against the prime minister trying to fight for the rights of the Muslims. And I was 18 years old. So I think the conversation after that is when I was put in a position where I had to speak up, where I did, and I faced it. And then after that, when my reign as Miss England was over and the media wasn't so hot on me, I just gained that confidence because when I was put on the spotlight, I managed to hold my own. So after that, when an individual on a photo shoot asked me and was fascinated by my background, I could really easily shut them down and just make them feel like, why don't you know where Afghanistan is? What's wrong with you as a country? And that's what's happened. And this is the news and current affairs. Why are you not in the know? Don't look at me like I'm the crazy one when you're the ing- ignorant one. So after that, and I think as I've grown up, I grew up, I became more confident. I became more proud of my heritage because I realized the role it played in my values and morals and how I carried myself as Miss England. I think culture had a huge part to play in that where I refused to do the bikini round even in Miss World and I was the only contestant that did the bikini round but I wore two sarongs so it looked like a dress on stage because I said, this goes against my values. I don't care if this is Miss World, I'm not doing it. Because my parents had said that to me at the age of 14 and that never left my head, that I cannot. I made a promise and I will not. I just became very proud and very respectful of my background and heritage more so as I understood my position in the world.
0: Oh, that's really curious. So how do you think the events of 9-11 and 7-7 and people from our background and the perceptions of people from our background kind of changed and or transformed the modeling industry itself?
1: I feel like as time went by and more people got to know where Afghanistan is and more understanding, there were so many documentaries and shows and things and just like I said, with the rise of the Kardashians and just the way the, the image, like from an image perspective, how the norm changed and more people wanted to look more like that, that it wasn't so fascinating for people for me to be at a shoot because my look then conformed what their standards was. So they didn't feel the need to question me so much. To be honest, even now, when I meet people and I tell people that both of my parents are from Afghanistan, they still find it fascinating because not many people from my background do what I do. But it's not in an ignorant way. It's more of a fascinated and they're just curious and they want to ask more. So that I don't mind. Like if you don't know something and you want to know, I respect that. But if you don't know something and you're going to act ignorant about it, then I'm not going to entertain you.
0: Yeah, I can empathize. There's a difference between people asking as a matter of curiosity and then people asking as a matter of criticism. What I would like to do now, Hamaza, is pivot and ask you what it was like to hold the mantle of being Miss England. What was that moment like for you, given, given your background, where you came from, in many ways being an outsider to England? Um, unpack how that kind of all manifested for us.
1: Going into the pageant, I did not think that I even had a chance to win because the pageant had been around for 51 years and up until, our 50 years, up until the time that I had entered, not a single ethnic minority from any background other than an English girl had won the pageant. So even before attending, I went with the intention of, I'm not winning anyway, so let me just go and have a good time let me just go and sponge up the experience and just make the most of it and have fun and come back. And I think that was one of the reasons that I did win because I was so confident because that element of competitiveness was not there anymore. I didn't care. I wasn't there. Like I was there to have a good time. So I was smiling. I was laughing. I was enjoying myself. I was being my true self because it didn't matter anyway. I had no one to impress. So firstly, the first job as the winning Miss England, the next day after the pageant, which they announced was that you had to, there's a ship race that happens every five years from the port of Liverpool, where the pageant took place in Liverpool. And I, the Miss England had to go in a bikini and launch this ship race and say goodbye to the sailors. And then it takes five years for them to go around the world. And... um when I saw that job as Miss England, I was like, I. The first thought that came to my head was, "This is not me," because I can't get in a bikini <laughs> to wave to the sailors, so they're not going to pick a Muslim girl. And I just did the pageant. I was very confident. I I did a dance performance, which I won Miss Talent, and that put me forward to the top twelve. And then in top twelve, I did a interview. So in the interview round they asked me why I would make a better Miss England than the contestants behind me. And my answer was that I am the symbol of Britain because I'm a diverse, multicultural individual that represents the true essence of what the UK is about. And with what's going on in the world, everybody feels very segregated and separate. But here I am, a prime example of two things coming together and achieving something better. So I'm a symbol of integration and acceptance, and that's why I feel like if I win Miss England, it's something that I could really show the world that, no, we can come together and something better does come and we're not evil people like the way the media was making Muslim that to be. And I think that's what really won the judges over because with Miss World and stuff, it's not just about what you look like, but what you represent and the humanitarian work that you could actually bring forward. This is where it differs from Miss Universe, because Miss Universe is very commercial and image-based, whereas Miss World is a lot more to do with charity work and more about the person rather than what they look like. So I feel like with the things that I was saying was the right tone of voice for what a Miss World should be. So that's why I think the judges were very, I I had a standing ovation when I answered the question and answer round and then I was announced as the winner and the first thing that went through my head that oh my god my mom's gonna kill me (laughs) what did I get myself into because the way the press took over my mom and dad were there at the pageant with me but the like I just caught my mom's eye and my life flashed before my eyes because I just I knew that it was so controversial and intense but I didn't realize how much and how much the press took an interest in me. We had paparazzi outside our house for weeks. My dad couldn't put out the trash in his pajamas because paparazzi would take pictures of him. So it became a very controversial win, and I threw myself and my family in the deep end without any media training. And I just had, we just had to find our way out. And if it wasn't for the support and the guidance of my parents, there was no way I would have been able to handle it the way I did.
0: Oh, that's really fascinating. Since you brought up the media, I'd like to get your thoughts on what you think the impact of social media is on young girls and women. How do you kind of think about social media? What are the benefits? In particular, what are the detriments? And how has it changed since you started modeling? Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, I feel that we've come a long way from the time that I was in the fashion industry and I started working. Social media has had a very profound effect on my industry in particular. So it's affected me personally, where the standards of our industry has changed, the work has changed. And so social media has a lot of good things and also a lot of bad things. And to be honest, I'm a little bit on the fence with it because I feel like the fashion industry got blamed for eating disorders and anorexia and bulimia and just people's confidence and depression. But what people don't realize is that the fashion industry, the only way you came across those images was if you chose to pick up a magazine and look through them or chose to watch TV, whereas social media now is in your hand 24-7 and those images are plastered in your face at all times. Yet where is that blame now? Because I feel like as a model... Or as someone who worked in the fashion industry for 20 years, we always received slack for that. And yet this is happening all around us. People are glamorizing cosmetic procedures. Girls as young as 15 feel the pressure to have cosmetic procedures because of social media. And yet no one's really saying anything or they no one's regulating it. And that's what I have an issue with. And also as models, we worked very hard and we had to go to the costings and get the people and find out. Whereas now I feel that certain girls fall into the industry just because they build the following, yet they don't understand the art, the camera angle, the lighting, like the, because just because someone can take a nice selfie does not make them a good model. But yet the industry, the lines are very blurred. And so the professionals who've worked very hard to get to where they are feel a little bit not undermined, but it falls under the same category. So then it's kind of, we were the way we were, or we did what we did because we looked a certain way. Now, if you look, let's say you could look at football or soccer, as you guys call it, but we call it football here. If you really want to be a football player and you don't have the legs for it, and then you're able to go and purchase those legs and then become the next Messi, how is that then fair to Messi? who's got the natural talent. And I feel like with social media, that's what's happened because if girls don't look a certain way, they go and purchase their looks and then they come and compete with the girls who have done this because of the way they looked. So do you see how it's kind of the lines are very blurred?
0: I do. That's a really interesting perspective. So what's the path forward? Where do we go from here? What do you think?
1: I just feel like everybody needs to be a little bit more responsible with what they put out there. I feel like there's a lot of influencers, but what are they influencing? What is your influence over people that you are an influencer? What positive change are you making? What, what are you teaching? Even if it's the way you dress, are you teaching the right way or? I feel like I said, social media has a lot of good things. It gives a lot of people a platform, people could showcase their talent and it keeps people connected, news travels fast. But at the same time, I believe that there needs to be a little bit of some sort of regulation, some sort of monitoring or a rate restriction because it is a lot of children now are not understanding how to be in social situations or how to interact with other human beings or form bonds or form connections. We are living in the most depressed society that we've ever had. You know, our young people are committing so much, their suicide rates are going up and all of these things. And I feel like with social media, they, they needs to be, they people shouldn't glamorize cosmetics procedures. And it should just be a little bit more educational and a little bit more realistic, but it's never going to go that way because everybody posts their best showreel of their lives.
0: Exactly. Social media images are a fabricated moment, right?
1: So that's exactly why I started doing my mental health videos. Because for me, it's so important to have a platform. I had this platform, but I don't want to be categorized as just another pretty girl that posts pretty pictures. There's enough Mm -hmm. of those in the world. And I feel like with all my life experience, I've been in the game way before instagram i've seen the trends come and go and that's exactly why i'm against modifying yourself permanently due to pressures of the society because i've seen so many body shapes come and go so many trends come and go i've done a full full circle of my career so i've seen it from start to finish and i'm seeing it loop over again so i see that only like just because a certain body shape is trendy right now it doesn't mean that that will be trendy in five years time But if you have gone out of your way to get surgeries done to look a certain way, you can't then reverse that when that's no longer on trend. So the only reason, like I'm not against plastic surgery, I just feel like it should be done. If it really affects your confidence and self-worth, do it for the right reasons, not because of trends, because the damage then is irreversible. So that's why I wanted to get into mental wellness and mental health and just create a platform where people feel comfortable coming on and just discussing issues that are difficult.
0: Yeah, I think the work that you're doing on the mental health front is absolutely commendable. Uh, given your lived experience and the wisdom you've gained throughout these years, it's great that you're now sharing those lessons with, with people around the world. Hamas, I'd like to kind of unpack this idea and this difference That I'm kind of noticing is that people on social media are chasing glamour and they're confusing it with beauty. And so, I think it'd be really great to ask you, in your own words, how would you describe and or define beauty?
1: I'm a very spiritual person. So, for me, I look at beauty or I look at a person based on their energy. So if I feel comfortable around them, you know, words and actions lie. You could meet someone and they could tell you the best things, or they could do the nicest things, but their intentions may not be right for you. So it's very easy to f- be blinded by the way someone looks or the things that they say or the things that they show. And this is why it frustrates me with social media, because people only show what they want to show. and. Unfortunately, the readers don't look at it like that. They look at it as that is the truth. That is the reality. And it's not the reality. So for me, when I meet someone, it's, it's just, do I get a good vibe of them? Do I get a good energy of them? And if that feels right, I'm a very good. Like I said, I'm very spiritual and I'm very good at reading people because of my line of work. I've had to meet new people day in, day out, and I had to judge it for myself. So that really taught me how to read people well, and that's what beauty is, is who you are, your entity, and your, as a human, your essence, what you stand for, what your morals and values are, what you believe in, how compassionate and humility is very important to me. Because I've worked in a very critical environment for 20 years of my life, and the polar opposite of critical environment is compassionate environment. So for me, if someone isn't authentic around me and there is a sense of superficiality, I'm out. I don't find that beautiful at all. I could meet the most beautiful human beings because that's been part of my job. The people who who set the beauty standards, the people who set the trends, the people who tell people what they should look like, I've seen them, I've met them. Some of them are beautiful because of things they stand for. And some of them have the ugliest personalities regardless of what they look like and once you get to see that side that illusion of the image of the outside just goes because you know that inside they're an ugly person and i feel like because i've been exposed to that so much for me the idea of beauty or the meaning of beauty has is it has completely different meaning and what it stands for And it's just about, you know, kindness, compassion, and also your ethics, your respect, how you carry yourself, your confidence is what makes someone beautiful.
0: Oh, I think that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that perspective with us. As we wrap up here, Hamas, I'd like to ask you, given your lived experience, you know, what's your message for the world?
1: My message for the world is that right now we live in very difficult times and it's very uncertain times. Everything's very up in the air. And I feel like this may, this may be our new norm, but this is the year that has woken a lot of people up. So look at it as an opportunity. As much as this is a bad time, it's also really making us understand and realize what's really important in life, which is your friends, your family, your health your nutrition, things that everybody neglects because we're so wrapped up in this world of Instagram and images. But, you know, regardless of how, which position these people hold that the young people look up to, everybody was put back in their place and everybody everybody was equal at that time. And I feel like my message to the world is to really understand what's important to you and don't be that distracted on what you see on social media. Stick to your morals and values. This is all very temporary. This is all very image-based. These things won't last. And you don't want to look back in 5, 10 years' time and have regrets because of the way you carried yourself for a couple likes on social media or you sold your morals or values to live a certain lifestyle that later on in your life you'll realize that really doesn't mean anything if you don't have good people around you.
0: Hamaza Kostani, thank you for being the light in the darkness. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Stories of Transformation podcast. This podcast is produced by Dana Drahos. Audio engineering by Joe Genjemi, Marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esor. If you love Stories of Transformation, you can help more people find us by leaving a review and sharing the episodes far and wide. We're grateful for all your support. And on behalf of the Stories of Transformation team, I'd like to say thank you. Okay, see you next time.